The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. The scripture reading this morning is Genesis chapter 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, 
and the seven empty years, blighted by the east wind, are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh, to Pharaoh, what he is about to do. There will come seven years of plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, and put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him with garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride on his second chariot, and they all called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out, over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenoth, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, 
But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to be with all of you this morning. If we haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, my name's Aaron, and I have the joy of getting to be a part of the team here at Quorum Dale and privilege of serving as teaching pastor here at the church. And if we haven't, you know, really gotten the chance to talk or hang out much, we'd love to get to know you, hear your story, and just spend some uh, time together. I'll be up front here with uh, some of the other leaders that Justin mentioned, just to maybe answer any questions. And especially for those who need prayer, just want to make myself available uh, to you uh, this morning. As we think about this story, though, here in Genesis 41, let me start with this. A few weeks ago, it snowed a lot. A lot, at least by my standards, coming from uh, California. But a few weeks ago, we were still living in our temporary rental on the northern part of town with a few days away from officially moving into the house that we're currently living in, the house we just bought on the west side of Omaha. And with the amount of snow that keeps coming from the sky here in Omaha, if I wanted any chance of getting our U-Haul into the driveway of our new house, I had not one driveway to shovel, but two. And so when I get into these kind of situations where I know there's a lot of things I have to do, and in this moment of having to shovel both the driveway of the house we were living in and the house that we were going to move into, my brain goes to this idea of how can I get this done as fast as possible, right? Efficiency is king in these moments. And so in that moment when we were about to get ready to go shovel the snow, or I was, our two oldest, Shannon and Kaysen, eight and six, come running up to me and they go, Daddy, Daddy, we want to come help shovel the the driveway with you. Now, you parents know, in moments like this, when you have younger kids trying to help you with something, do things go faster or slower? (laughs) Slower, right? Less efficient. But in that moment, we actually, all three of us, so Sienna, Kaysen, and I, we all decided, okay, we're going to do this together. We're going to have some fun, shovel the driveway together. And so we went out to Lowe's before we went to our new house and got our two little ones some new snow, kids' snow shovels, and so that took some extra time. And then we drove over to the new neighborhood where our house was at, and because I was a day late to actually getting to shoveling the snow, the snowplow had already gone through the neighborhood, and so that big wall of snow was just greeting us at the bottom of our driveway. So that actually made it take some more time. And then because our kids are young, and they're full of energy, but they're still young and they get tired easily, they wanted to take a break. And so, you know, that made it take some more time. But within an hour, actually, we actually had the whole driveway shoveled, and we had a delightful time together. It was a ton of fun. The sun was out, and we just really enjoyed being together outside shoveling the snow. Likewise, our God can do whatever he wants when he wants. Our God is not dependent on anyone or anything. Yet, when God works in the world... He works with us. He works through us, not apart from us. Or to put it more succinctly, God works through humans. Our God has providentially determined to work through humans, not apart from them. And this is what I want us to rejoice in this morning. That God works through humans. 
So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis 41. As we see how God works through humans, number one, through those who speak God's purposes. Number two, those who serve with God's power. And number three, those who are satisfied or are satisfied with God's provision. Those who speak God's purposes, serve with God's power, and are satisfied with God's provision. So number one, speak with God's purposes, or speak God's purposes. Take a look at verse one. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the Nile. Now, two years after what? Well, two years after what we just talked about last week, Joseph being in prison, two years have gone by, and Pharaoh has these dreams. These dreams that there's these seven healthy cows that come up out of the Nile, and then these seven lean and ugly cows come up, and they eat the healthy cows. And likewise, the seven heads of grain that are healthy come up, while there's these seven ugly unhealthy stalks of grain that eat the seven healthy ones. And Pharaoh, he has these dreams, and he's troubled. He doesn't know what to make of them. He probably has some sort of fear and anxiety related to them because they're coming out of the Nile. The Nile is associated with them. Walter Brueggemann, biblical scholar, helps us here and explains that the Nile River is not only a geographical referent, it is also an expression of the imperial power of fertility. It is administration of the Nile, which permits the king to generate and guarantee life. The failure of the Nile and its life system means that the empire does not have in itself the power of life. Hence, Pharaoh is troubled. He has no idea what to do. But then as the story progresses, we're told that the cupbearer all of a sudden remembers Joseph. Now, it's at this point in the story, I just want to tell the cupbearer, you had one job, right? Just remember Joseph. But for whatever reason, we get to this point of the story, the cupbearer remembers Joseph, tells Pharaoh about him, and Pharaoh's like, okay, I've got to meet this guy, bring him up. And we read, verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me or in me, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, question for you. Who is going to give Pharaoh the favorable answer? God or Joseph? Yes. Right? It is through Joseph that God is going to speak the favorable answer. It is through Joseph that God is going to speak what is about to happen. Not apart from Joseph. Yet at the same time, it is still God doing the work. And Joseph is God's instrument to accomplish and to speak through the purposes that God has. And friends, this is something that is consistent throughout redemptive history. You can count on one hand the amount of times God has decided to do something apart from humans. That this is how our God works in the world. Now, this does not mean we are the hero of the story. In fact, the text is going to remind us, verse 16 again, God will give Pharaoh the favorable answer. Verse 25, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. 28, God has shown Pharaoh. Verse 32, these things are fixed by God and God will surely or shortly bring them about. And at the same time, as you look at this narrative, God is working through Joseph and Joseph is speaking God's purposes to Pharaoh and to the world. And this is how 
God works in the world. Through those who speak God's purposes, the same is true for you and I. That God has invited each of us in our own spheres of life to speak God's purposes in the world. So that's the first point. God works through humans who, number one, speak God's purposes, but number two, who serve with God's power or serve under God's power. As Joseph speaks and declares what these dreams are, the interpretation of the dream, Joseph not only tells the interpretation, namely that there's going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine, but Joseph also provides a plan or a path forward for Pharaoh to implement. He tells Pharaoh, appoint someone to more or less be the overseer, the one that organizes and administrates the seven years of plenty so that during those years of plenty, about one-fifth of the resources are stored so that during the seven lean years, there's enough resources to go around. And as Joseph, again, speaks God's purposes, this proposal, the text says, pleases Pharaoh. Verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. 38, and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh continues, and he actually gives Joseph a brand new coat or a brand new garment. It's like this beautiful moment of reversal and redemption, because we know how this story started with Joseph. He lost his first garment. He lost his first coat. And here he is reclothed with new garments, a new coat. But on top of that, he's also given a signet ring, a gold chain, all symbols of authority and power. He's given a new chariot. And the decree is given out to the land, bow the knee to Joseph. Here we see God working through Joseph's life, taking him from the pit now to this position of power in the midst of Pharaoh's palace. But I want you to notice here in, the, here in this story, the thing that Pharaoh notices about Joseph. And we just read it in verse 38. Pharaoh asks this question, where can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Now, there's a pretty good chance that Pharaoh himself doesn't fully understand those words when he says the spirit of God. But what we see from this story, what we see from this narrative, is that it is because Joseph is empowered by God's own spirit, God's own empowering presence, that Joseph is able to stand and to serve and to speak and act with God's purposes. That God's empowering presence is what is driving and animating Joseph in this story. That it is not Joseph in his own strength, but Joseph empowered by the very spirit of God that is enabling Joseph to do the things and say the things that he's doing in this story. Fun fact for you, this is actually the first time in the whole Bible that the Spirit of God is used in association with a human being. Joseph is the first person that we come across in Scripture where it's explicitly told to us that the Spirit of God is at work in his life. And also notice, what kind of role is Joseph serving in? He's not a pastor or a preacher. Nothing wrong with those people. But Joseph is in a, in a government position 
in the realm of agriculture, business, and economics. Side point, this just completely obliterates that sacred-secular divide that we sometimes have. That here the Spirit of God is at work in someone in a quote-unquote everyday normal job. And it's in these moments, likewise, that God is inviting us to rely on His power, His Spirit, enabling us for the work that He has called us to. In addition, the first time that the Spirit of God is used in Scripture, this is the first time it's used with a human being, the first time the Spirit of God appears explicitly in Scripture is actually on page one of your Bible, right? In the story of creation, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, and there we see that the Spirit of God in creation is involved with bringing life and flourishing so that humans themselves might live and flourish. And likewise, the Spirit of God at work in Joseph's life is enabling Joseph to participate in God's plans and purposes so that he, Joseph, might be God's vessel to bring life and flourishing to other humans. Again, this is how God works in the world through humans. Let me make this as practical and as clear as possible. God isn't going to get his work done unless we do it. Not because he can't, but because God has providentially determined to work with and through humans, not apart from them. This means that the kids in our church, the kids in our lives will not be discipled unless we do it. This means that our neighbors, our coworkers, will not hear the gospel unless we preach and, and proclaim the gospel to them. This means our workplaces, our cities, the places that we have influence in or that we know people in, will not experience renewal unless we ourselves are being renewed by God's Spirit and we share that renewal with others. That, friends, you and I, each of us in this room, have a role and a part to play in God's redemptive story. That God's work in the world is furthered and advanced through his human image bearers, not because he can't do it without us, but because God in his grace and his love and his mercy invites you and I to participate, that there are no Christians that are meant to sit on the sidelines, that each of us are invited and called to participate, and each of us are not meant to just sit on the sidelines. A number of years ago, when we closed our church plant down, this reality was something that I really struggled with. That God actually wants to work through me and that by God's spirit, that God has something for me to offer to others. We were in a season where I was very discouraged about kind of what our future and my future in particular would be like as far as serving the Lord would entail. And we ended up in a church, the church we just came from, that has meant so much to my family and I. And it was during that season that God really helped reshape and kind of help my thinking as far as what it means to actually serve in a way where believing that God actually does want to work in and through me by God's Spirit. But this kind of fear, this sort of hesitancy, this sort of unbelief that was in my heart was most acute in scenarios and moments where I'd be meeting one-on-one -on -one with people, especially people that were older than me. Because of some things that had happened in our church plan, I just really struggled with feeling like God had equipped me or had, you know, I had anything to offer, any kind of help I could give to someone older than me. And so that kind of worked through that, and by God's grace, there was some progress, but there was a moment about a year and a half or so ago, maybe two years, that this older woman in our church, someone who I had gotten to know really well, someone I deeply respected, 
comes up after me, comes up to me after our Sunday gathering and pulls me aside and in the most encouraging and thoughtful way, just speaks these very simple words of, thank you so much for being willing to meet with my husband. Her husband, someone 30, 35 years older than me. Thank you so much for taking the time to meet with him. He's so encouraged. It's fun to see what God is doing in his heart and life. And then she says this to me. Aaron, you do have something to offer. Not you, you, but you through God's spirit have something to offer. And it was like she was reading my mind in that moment. And not only is that a beautiful reminder, at least for me, of the power of encouragement, but it's also a reminder for me of, it's not my own strength or my own whatever that I'm offering. It is through my weaknesses and through my insecurities and through the gaps and the places and the crevices where I feel like there's nothing to offer, that God's Spirit comes and God's Spirit works through weakness. And God's Spirit empowers each and every one of us in whatever particular weaknesses or frailties or insecurities you might have to take that step, to be bold, and to see that it's God's Spirit working in us and through us, and that each of us in this room has something to offer. That yes, God has declared that I am making all things new. God has declared that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. But God has also directed you and I to make disciples. God has directed you and I to preach the gospel, to care for the poor, to, raise, to, to follow Jesus in a way where we show mercy and justice to those around us. God has called each of us to participate, not in our own strength, but serving and relying on the Spirit of God. And especially in those moments, in those seasons, in those times where we feel weak, that we rejoice in our weakness, because it's there and only there that God's power is made perfect. And so, friends, may we realize that God works through us by his Spirit, and especially in those moments of weakness. So number one, God works through humans who speak God's purposes. Number two, those who serve with God's power. But lastly, number three, who are satisfied, who are satisfied with God's provision. Again, Joseph is 30 years old at this point. A lot of years have passed since we first met him in, in chapter 37. And in verse 49, we read, And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, and like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. The narrator wants us to see that at this moment, that the, the years of plenty are just abounding. There's so much abundance, so much flourishing, that Joseph can't even measure the amount of grain, the amount of bread that's being stored up. Then the story shifts. The famine begins to come. And it's kind of hard for us, let's be honest, to really understand like, what it's like to live in a famine, to actually know what it's like to be without food and resources like this. You know, it, it's hard for us. You know, we often kind of joke around, and we do this with our kids sometimes, like we say things like, I'm starving, right? You know, our kids are amazing. They're so much fun. I have a ton of fun with them. They say this to me all the time. Dad, I'm starving. And especially, because my wife is super brilliant at like having a good routine with our kids. And they have like snacks at like every, like on the clock, right? Like every two and a half hours or something. But sometimes when I'm kind of, you know, the one in charge of like that schedule, <laughs> you know, we might skip a snack or two. But... 
my kids will let you know if you miss snack time, right? And so Casey the other day comes running up to me. Like, I was like, you know, 20 minutes late on snack. Dad, I'm starving. Like, I, I need my snack. I, I'm, I'm, I'm famished. You know, kids are like hobbits, you know, they have, you know, breakfast, second breakfast, that sort of thing. Like, that's kind of the extent of how we use the language of like famine and starving. But just try to imagine as best you can what it would be like to be in a moment where you don't know where your next meal is coming from. Where you don't know how you're going to survive the next day. This is the moment that God has entrusted Joseph to work through. This is the moment with which Joseph is relying on God's power to work through. Verse 54 says there was famine in all the lands. The narrator is wanting you to see that in all the lands surrounding Egypt, there's famine. But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. Verse 55 is really interesting because it's Pharaoh saying, when as the Egyptians are crying out, what do we do? We're, we're famished. We don't have any resources. What do we do? Verse 55 tells us, Pharaoh says, go to Joseph, do what he says. I mean, how crazy is that? That the king of Egypt, this foreign king is saying, go to Joseph. Listen to what he says to do. Joseph is the one that is going to provide for you. Do what he says. Verse 56, so when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in all of the land. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Again, verse 55 tells us that there is bread only in Egypt. Here in 57 and following that there's grain. Question, though, who is providing the bread and the grain for the people? God or Joseph? Yes, right? It's the same thing, right? It is through Joseph that God is providing. It is through Joseph that, that God is extending his provision to the world. It is through Joseph that God is accomplishing his purposes in the world, not apart from Joseph. Joseph, at the end of this story, has received God's provision himself. A few verses back, we were told that Joseph had a, was given a wife and two sons, and that by the naming of his two sons, it seems like Joseph has personally experienced God's own provision in his own life. He names his first son with this name that means, but God has caused me to forget all my affliction and hardship. Meaning that, not that Joseph has forgotten, like he's erased it from his memory, but that word for forget is this idea that it's not just replaying in my mind's eye all the time. That it doesn't hold this power over me, what happened in my past. He names his second song along the lines of, God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. There we see Joseph recounting what's happened in his own story. Joseph realizing that God has been at work. That God has allowed me to experience fruitfulness and abundance even in my pain. So first off, Joseph has personally experienced God's own provision for his own life. And in turn, by the end of this story, we read that Joseph is the one that's providing provision to the rest of the world. Joseph has experienced God's provision and now is ex extending that same provision to the world. Does this not remind us of someone? We've been saying throughout this series that the story of Joseph foreshadows and points to the story of Jesus. 
Joseph receives God's provision and extends and serves that provision and offers that provision to the rest of the world. But that was at one moment in redemptive history. That was thousands of years ago. That was for those people back then. What good does that do us today? I mean, who will provide for our hunger? Who will provide for our need? Who will fill those lonely and famished places in our lives and in our souls? Well, the good news, friends, is that there's someone greater than Joseph that has come. Someone greater than Joseph that has come that has tasted and has, been received, has received God's own provision and then offers that provision to the world. Like Joseph, Jesus speaks God's purposes. In the Gospel of John, we're told that Jesus says himself, I speak and do only what the Father tells me to do. And like Joseph, Jesus serves with the power of God's Spirit. Beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up in the synagogue, reads from the scroll of Isaiah, which says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to proclaim good news. And at his baptism, the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And like Joseph, Jesus, God himself, God incarnate, offers God's own very life and salvation to the world. Friends, the bread that Joseph offers at the end of this chapter is but a small foretaste of the bread and the life that is to come in the person of Jesus. The prophet Isaiah foretold of a day when this would happen and says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Jesus himself would say in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst again. Friends, this story is pointing us to Jesus, the one who truly provides for us, the one who truly gives us what we truly need. And friends, the offer that we have in and through the person of Jesus is simply this, that as we come to Jesus, as we see the beauty of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we begin to see that he fills those deepest longings and passions and desires of our hearts. That, friends, we are not meant to live lives trying to find satisfaction in someone else or something else. But that this story reminds us that our deepest longings and satisfactions can only be found in and through Jesus. That it is because of what Christ has done, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, that he offers himself to us, and in turn, we receive the ultimate satisfaction that we are all craving. The danger, though, friends that we would seek to live lives where we might even do good things or attempt to do good things. Where we would seek to join God's purposes in the world, seek to speak on God's behalf, serve on God's behalf, but do it from a place without truly being satisfied with him. That's the danger. The danger when that happens and when that often happens, more often than we like, is that what ends up happening is that we end up offering ourselves to the world. We end up offering ourselves from places of insecurity, from places of fear, from places of wondering, what will people think of us? But 
when we truly are satisfied with him, when we truly know and experience him and what he has done for us, when we truly come to see that the deepest longings and passions and desires are ultimately satisfied in him, that frees us up. That frees us up to speak with boldness. That frees us up to enter moments where in and of ourselves, we might seem weak or insecure or not know what to say, but God meets us in those moments. And we enter boldly into those moments, trusting that God is at work. And we're not so concerned about what others might think. This frees us up to be the kinds of people that are so rooted and centered and secure in what Christ has done for us. That a world that is famished for meaning and purpose begins to see there's something different there. You have something different there. You're not longing like how the world is longing. You're not anxious like the world is anxious, but there's a satisfaction about you. Tell me more. Friends, I, I just long for, for more of that. I long for more of that in myself where I would be more satisfied. I would be more content and, and ultimately just in love with who Christ is, so rooted in what he has done for me that I'm fully satisfied with what he is, who he is and what he's done for me, that I become more and more the kind of person that shares not just myself, but myself with God working in and through me. That we would come to see more and more that we do have a role to play and that we, in our own strength, do not want to offer ourselves, but only when we see the beauty of the gospel and what Christ has done when we see the satisfaction that he brings us. Then we begin to offer not our fleshly selves, but the self that God has transformed and is continuing to transform to the world. And that we join in and we get the privilege and the joy of participating with God in his grand redemptive story. That God in his providence and in his love and grace invites every single one of you to find your satisfaction and your contentment and longing in him. That you might, because of the grace of God, become the kinds of people that speak God's purposes and serve with God's power. Not offering just your own selves, but the self that God is transforming and making more like Christ day in and day out. Friends, that's the longing, that's the hope. What kinds of people does God work through? The kinds that speak God's purposes, that serve with God's power, and that are ultimately satisfied with who he is and what he's done for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love and your grace to each of us. God, we thank you that no matter what, you are for us and that you are with us. And I do pray for each and every person here in this room. I pray for myself that you would bring us more and more to places of just deep contentment and joy and satisfaction in you. In a world where there's so many things competing for our attention, in a world where there's so many things vying for our satisfaction, God, may you, by your spirit and by your grace, Help us to see afresh the beauty of who you are and what you've done for us. God, do not let us walk out of this room 
without a deeper awareness and joy and satisfaction than you. God, give us boldness. Give us courage. God, help us to see the joy that it is to step into your story. May we offer more of you to this world that needs you. So by your spirit and by your grace, help us to that end. Father, we love you only because you first loved us and we pray these things in your name. Amen.